Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to continue on in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we're looking at the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, as we've already looked at in our shorter catechism this morning. We looked at at the question it asked, well, what are we to pray for in the fifth petition? And we were given an overview of that. We're going to kind of expand that a little bit this morning and look to a a parable that some of us may be familiar with this morning. So we're going to look at Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 21. And so we're going to be in the New Testament. Feel free to use the table of contents. You'll get into the New Testament. Matthew's the first book you come to. And again, the Bible in the Old Testament says somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we're in right now this morning says somebody's here right now. And the whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. And so we are looking at the person and work and the words of Jesus Christ in his ministry this morning. Look for the big number 18. That's the chapter that we're going to be in. And then look for the little number 21. That's the verse that we're going to start in. If you're unfamiliar with how to find things in the Bible, we don't want to assume that you know. We want to help you in that way. And so look at Matthew 18, verse 21, starting in verse 21. While you're opening up there, when, uh, when we lived and my family lived in Charlotte, Rebecca and I volunteered, uh, mostly Rebecca, and I kind of helped out when I was able to. I was on the road a lot to help oversee the annual student book fair. Has anybody seen one of these? Usually kind of comes rolling into town, and there's big tables of books that are set up, and the kids come with their fistfuls of sweaty dollars, and they come and they buy the books, and it, it's just kind of fun to see everybody, see the students come in, and and you've probably seen one of those at at some point, and as you can probably imagine, as we helped with the book fair, uh, it was always fun to see the kids figure out how much money they had. And, and you would go and you would wander the shelves with them. And, okay, so your parents sent you with $20. You can get this. You can get that. And they would come in. And, and it was really uh, helpful and fun to kind of do that. But as they headed to the checkout, there was usually one thing that they, they all had in common. They all forgot about sales tax. And those of us who are adults, we all know the hurt of sales tax, that you get up and you read the price and you're like, well, that must be the price. And then you figure out, oh, no, it's not. That's not the price. There's sales tax on top of that. And so instead of making the kids put back the, put back the books, the parents did something kind of off to the side that people didn't really know about. What we did was we actually did a spare change drive. And so we had several kind of Ziploc bags full of quarters and dimes and pennies and stuff like that that people would always donate to help the kids so that they could get the books that they want even though they forgot about the sales tax. We're like, hey, that's no problem. That's no problem. We've got that extra 60 cent right here and we'd pull it out of the out of the bag and we'd put it in the register to make sure that everything lined up and then the students would happily exit with their books and that was just kind of fun. It was our, our joy to do that. When you think about what was actually going on there, they actually incurred a debt. These are the books that you bought. This is the sales tax that you owe because of that. And so, like, you have a debt that you need to pay off. And what you have there is you might think that you know where I'm going with this, but let me describe another scenario for you that maybe shines a different light. Okay, so that's somebody owing, like, a a debt that needs to be paid, that you buy the books, and this is the sales tax that you owe. That's normal kind of standard commerce stuff. Okay, but let's say a student comes into that exact same book fair, They come in and they steal an armful of books and they run out the door. Okay? What happens is, is they run out, they are immediately caught by the school resource officer because as you can imagine, if you're small and you have an armful of books, it's kind of hard to generate a lot of speed. So they're caught by the resource officer, they're brought back in, 
And there's still plenty of money in that spare change fund, and you might be imagining that one of the parents who's there might see that situation, and the parent just volunteers to offer just to pay for the stolen books and so that the kid can just go on. But that's a different kind of debt that has now been incurred. That's actually a moral debt. It's not just a financial debt. There's a moral debt that the volunteer can't pay off for him. He has stolen those books willfully, and it is up to the cashier at the front or who's ever in charge. They do not have the obligation to accept that volunteer's money because this kid's broken the law. And so I, want, I say that to kind of just illustrate the two types of debt that we're talking about. It's more than just a financial debt. It's a moral debt. Now, growing up, I was raised in the Methodist church, and we always said, forgive us our trespasses when we looked at the, at the fifth petition, and you may have done that in the Lord's Prayer. And as a kid, I thought that meant that we were asking God to forgive us for going on to somebody else's land. You know, forgive us our trespasses. I'm like, it's kind of a weird thing to pray for, but I guess I've crossed through my neighbor's yard. But l- later in the Presbyterian church, I was introduced to forgive us our debts, which I'm sure most people probably associate with a financial obligation. And besides leading to some really awkward moments when a large group of people recite this prayer together, and you know there's always that moment where you you pray the Lord's Prayer out loud and you're like, are we going to do debts or trespasses? And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Aside from that, you think, which one of these is correct? Trespasses, debts, which one is there? And the answer is both. Because what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6 is not a dispute over property boundaries or a financial obligation. Jesus is referring to a moral debt. And you see trespasses and debts that are there. It's a sin debt against a holy God that we've all incurred, we're all liable for, but there's hope in the gospel. And this morning in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to remind us that because of Christ, our sin debt against him has been forgiven, this vertical relationship between us and God. We're asking God, would you please remind us that our debt has been forgiven between us? And then we're asking for his help as we forgive others horizontally, person to person, out of an understanding of how much we've been forgiven. So it's kind of like an indicative driving the imperative. We've talked about that before. A statement of fact driving a command. So Lord, as you call us to show forgiveness to others, help us to remember first and foremost that we have already been forgiven because of Christ. That is the statement of fact. For those of us who have been forgiven much, remind us of that and then help us to forgive others out of the overflow of that. And let's face it, when we hear that word forgiveness, we all struggle with it because it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Peter struggled with it too, and so Jesus told him a parable to illustrate what he was talking about. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then, and then Jesus tells this parable. And this parable comes on the heels of Jesus' well-known teaching on conflict resolution in verses 15 to 20, which in a nutshell says, if someone sins against you, go seek that person out and speak to them face-to-face before you air your grievances publicly or on social media. But again, this is hard too, right? Because typically what we do is we, we take care of this from the outside in, don't we? We typically make broad statements or we kind of publicly say some things or post some things and we hope that eventually it gets back to that person. And instead, the Lord calls us to do the hard work and to go to that person directly and go and talk to them. 
And we all struggle to understand Jesus' teaching on forgiveness because in our hearts we ask the same question that Peter asked, which is, how many times is sufficient? When have I done enough forgiveness? When is enough enough? How many, like, how often do I need to do this? Where's the limit? Where's the boundary, Lord? And in verse 22, which we're going to read here in just a moment, Jesus' answer floors Peter because he's given a huge number. Seventy times seven. It's an over-the-top number on purpose. And Jesus then tells him this parable to help him further understand the importance of forgiveness and also the dangers of an unforgiving heart. And so let's now go to the word with that in our mind. Let's let's start in verse 21. We're going to see the parable of the unforgiving servant this morning. Remember, this is the word of the Lord coming directly from him to our ears. May we give attention to it. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. We need it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for these parables that you left us with, O Lord, to illustrate these great truths. Pray that you would take this word, apply it to our hearts. Use this even now to prepare our hearts as we come to the Lord's Supper. And we consider the forgiveness that you have given us, O Lord, through your Son. Father, please be glorified. And Lord, we ask and pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so the big question that we're going to look at this morning is when we think about the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, how does a proper understanding of the gospel help us to forgive others? How does a proper understanding of the gospel help us to forgive others? And this morning, we're not really going to do points, although I'm going to give you a few. We're just going to follow the flow of the parable. There's kind of three main acts of this parable, and we're just going to look at those three acts kind of as our subheading as we unpack this this morning. And so act one is this between the servant and the king. And so if you want to write down a point for this, we can call this the debt of an unforgiving heart, the debt of an unforgiving heart. This is basically verses 23 to 27 in the parable. 
In verse 23, the word servant is used to describe the relationship between the king and this man. But uh, Dr. William Hendrickson in his commentary kind of talked about what was going on here that was really helpful. He said, The servants with whom the king is about to settle accounts must have been high officials, probably satraps or provincial governors, whose duty it was to collect the royal taxes in their several domains and deliver these large sums of money to the king at the proper time. And so what we see is these people that were put out to gather taxes for the king. And the king has every right to call for this accounting. He's not being unfair. He is doing what he is allowed to do as the sovereign. He says, time to settle up the debts. Bring, settle these accounts. Bring what you have uh, to me. And in verse 24, we see an official brought before the king who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't pay for things in talents, and you probably don't either. But uh, a talent is a unit of measurement equally to roughly 75 pounds. And sources differ on what this would equate to in, days, in today's money. Uh, the ESV study Bible said one talent would be roughly equivalent of $600,000. And so this man, if you're doing the math and carrying the zeros out, he owes roughly $6 billion with a B dollars. And that's an old footnote. So accounting for inflation, you do the math. He owes a lot of money. And so you think about this, and you might be asking, how in the world did this guy accumulate such a huge debt? Okay, we're not told, because that's not the point. It's a parable. Again, a parable is a story that is thrown alongside. The Greek little prefix para means alongside of. It's a story told and thrown alongside to illustrate a main point. And so the point, the weight that you're supposed to feel is, this guy's in trouble. He owes a lot of money. And there's no way he can pay this off. Six billion dollars. Jesus is using this absurd amount to drive home this point. Because in verse 25, there's no way that this guy could work it off. It's too much. It's too big. Like if you started working right now, there's no way you'd be able to pay this debt off that you owe. The king issues the verdict, which he is legally entitled to do as the sovereign. And what you see in verse 26 is the servant, it says, he falls on his knees and he implores the king. And he says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, you realize the absurdity of that appeal. Just have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. You're supposed to feel the absurdity of that. Like, there's no way this guy could pay this off. The king would be dead multiple times over. There's no way that he could pay this massive amount of debt off. And he's pleading for forgiveness. He knows his debt before the king. Notice he doesn't say not guilty, does he? He says, just have patience with me and I will pay you what, what I owe you. He knows the debt that he's incurred to the king. And put yourself in the king's shoes and you have this guy come before you. How would you respond if you're honest with yourself? Probably not well. You know, you think about what's going on here. You think about someone who's wronged you. The last thing you want to do is show them compassion, much less forgive them, right? Says, do you not know what you did? You made the bed, now sleep in it. You know, we put ourselves in the shoes of the king in here, and we would think that we would probably deal with them very harshly, especially for the amount of debt that they owe. And in verse 27, did you notice the man pleaded for mercy and his master had every right to condemn him? Debtor's prison was a real thing back when this was told. But instead, the king shows compassion on the man and forgives his debt at great expense to himself because he's never going to recoup that amount. Never. It's too big. 
And so it's as if, it's not as if all of these, you know, taxes and things that have been collected, it's not as if they're rightfully owed to the king. He forgives this man this debt at great expense to himself. That's the point. And so the big idea of scene one is this. Christian, remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember the immensity of that debt. That's the point. You have a debt that you cannot pay. It is huge. Remember it. Remember how much you have been forgiven. Now let's look at the second act. This is the between the forgiven servant and he meets a fellow servant of the king. This is in verses 28 to 31. The scene kind of shifts as we leave the throne room and we head out kind of into the streets. We'll call this, if you're a note-taking person, the demands of an unforgiving heart. So the debt of an unforgiving heart, the demands of an unforgiving heart. Look at verses 28 to 30 as we look at this. After being forgiven such a huge debt, remember, $6 billion, this forgiven servant leaves and he actively searches for it. The word found there in the, in the Greek does not mean that like he just bumped into him happenstance. It's an active word. So he actively goes and he seeks out and he searches out this guy and he finds him and a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii, which in today's money is roughly 12 grand. So you think, he, he just been forgiven $6 billion. And he now goes and seeks this guy out that owes him a pittance compared to that. And he finds him. And what's he doing when you really think about the parable? He's acting like a little mini king, isn't he? It's time for him to settle the debts. It's time for him to settle the accounts. He's doing exactly what the king did in Act 1. And he saw this man as his own servant, that you are in my service. And he goes and he demands justice and restitution. And when does he want that restitution? Right now. Verse 29. Did you notice that the fellow servant makes the exact same plea as the man who's choking him said before the king? He says, just be patient with me and I'll pay it back. As he's being choked, just uh, be patient with me. And what happens to those words? They fall on deaf ears, don't they? They fall on deaf ears and a hard heart. Look at what happens in verse 30 as the parable moves on. This graciously forgiven servant refuses to forgive his fellow man and he throws the man into debtor's prison. And what's ironic about this whole thing is where did the initial servant also... Where, where was he supposed to go because of his debt? Debtor's prison. He deserved the same exact punishment that he then meets out on this fellow servant. And so what's the big idea of, the second, of this second scene? Christian, as you have received an incalculable amount of forgiveness, a, hu a huge debt that you could not even imagine, if you have been forgiven of that because of Christ, now go also forgive others who have committed much smaller offenses. As you have been forgiven, go and forgive. Let's look at the third scene. We're going to tie this all up and look to the gospel. We're going to, we're going to get there. We're just looking at these scenes here. Act 3, the king confronts the wicked servant. These are some hard words coming from Christ. Verses 31 to 35. We'll call this the danger of an unforgiving heart. You see Jesus dropping a bomb in these verses and he drives home what he initially said to Peter at the beginning, which is forgiven, forgiving 77 times or 70 times 7. It's just a, a massive number. The actual, the t actually, the number of the time was 3. 
In Jewish law, it was, how many times should I forgive this person? How much is enough is enough? It's three times. And you notice Peter is coming and he's being very pious. He says, well, I'll at least double that and add a little extra. So if three is kind of the rule, what if I do seven? That sounds like a, a nice round number. Now you could, you know, you hear the number of, of completion in the Bible is seven. And, but he's just saying, I'm going to kind of double up on what's normally expected plus a little extra. And he says, Jesus, is that enough? And Jesus says, no, that's not enough. I'm going to meet this with an even bigger number, 77 or 70 times 7. Just a, a, it's a big number on purpose. And look at verse 31. This fellow servant saw what happened, and they could not sin against their king by keeping it a secret. And the last few verses highlight the difference between law and justice and grace and mercy. And so the king's sovereign right to justice has never changed through the parable. He had every right to call in the debts, and he's every, he has every right to mete out justice according to the law, does he not? That, thing, that remains constant. In verse 32, the king reminds the servant of how he forgave his incalculable debt and showed him compassion and mercy. Look at what he says in verse 32. It says, Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 34, the king rescinds his forgiveness and instead applies the full weight of the law. Now, is the king being unjust? No, he's not. He's not. He is applying the full weight of the law that the man was under the condemnation of that. And what you see in verse 35 is Jesus driving home the point that God cannot overlook a refusal to show mercy by someone who has been forgiven of so much. It's a hard word, isn't it? When we think about this, this verse might scare you because you start remembering all the times that you failed to show forgiveness and grace to others. And you think about, oh no, what about this person and that person and that situation? What about this and what about that? That's the proper response to the parable. It stares us in the face and it makes us think about our hearts. That's the point. That's the point is we, we sit and, and we think about all the ways that we have fallen short of that. And the big idea of scene three is this, Christian, forgiveness is the fruit of a heart changed by the gospel of grace. Here's what Kevin DeYoung said in his really helpful little book on the Lord's Prayer. Very simple. He said, forgiven people forgive. It's as simple as that. As we have been forgiven much, we're called to forgive. It's hard. But forgiveness is not a feeling. A lot of times our kind of modern psychological kind of thing, it all goes back to our emotions. And that, and that forgiveness sometimes is just like this fuzzy feeling that we do. That's not what we're talking about. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is the restoration of a relationship. That's what forgiveness is. And so we come to God as his children when we pray this fifth petition. We say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or we uh, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We come in this fifth petition. We come confessing our own need. We come confiding in His grace. Lord, please forgive me of my debt. I admit it. I'm like the guy in the parable. I've got this incalculable debt. Please, Lord, give me, give me forgiveness. And notice we do this daily. Give us this day our daily bread. We looked at that last week. Just little by little. Give me just what I need just for today. 
And we come and we confess all the ways that we again have fallen short of His grace every single day. We come with confession. That's why we do that every single Sunday, don't we? We have a confession of sin, corporate, private. We take a few moments to think about all the ways just in this past week. Or even in the, from the walk from your car to from the parking lot in the front door that we have sinned against the Lord. And we come and we confess those sins before Him, but we confide and we trust in His grace. Here's what, again, DeYoung said. He said, so if I sin as a Christian, I should not fear condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but I should still feel pricked in my conscience. I should not despair, but I should feel guilty when I do the things that deserve to be punished. I have disrupted the father-son relationship I enjoy with God, and that's why I should ask for forgiveness, not to be justified all over again, but because I have made a mess of the most important relationship in my life. The prayer, forgive us our debts, is the cry not of a frightened, not of a frightened litigant, but of a loving child. Lord, I come to you and I rest in your fatherly love and care. And I come and confess my sin to you. Please, Lord, please forgive me. Now, this parable is designed to make us all examine our hearts before a holy God. We think about our own unforgiving hearts and the massive moral debt we've accrued by breaking the righteous requirements of God's holy law. And God's law it crushes us. It reminds us of our utter inability to keep it on our own strength and merit. We think about the law of God. This is the standard. 100% perfection. And you think, oh no. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, have we not? Yes, we have. And His perfect law, we're crushed under the weight of that. And God cannot let sin go unpunished because it's contrary to His holy nature. And we all deserve to be thrown into hell for eternity because of our sin and rebellion. And you think about this, what if the king of the universe suddenly decided to settle all of our accounts? And we were left just in and of ourselves. You think, uh-oh. And that's the point. So if you are here, and you do not trust Christ by faith alone as your Savior. I'm so glad you're here. But you need to realize something. You have incurred a moral debt before a holy, holy, holy God. And His law demands perfection. And either you keep it or somebody else keeps it for you. And if you are here and you don't trust Christ, I as a minister of the gospel plead with you to run to Christ, to flee to Christ, to rest in Christ, to realize that you cannot pay this moral debt off. Even if you started working right now, there's no way you could do it on your own merit because even your best attempts would be tainted with sin. Flee to Christ. Rest in Christ. Acknowledge your rebellion maybe for the first time, and cry out for forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, we confess that moral debt. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a biblical promise. That is a gospel promise. And so look to Christ and flee to Christ. You see, here's the thing. None of us will ever truly understand the depths of the good news of the gospel because we will never fully, truly understand the depth of our sin. 
We have no idea how gracious and kind and patient and long-suffering our God is because we have no idea how deep the well of our rebellion goes. No clue. And if you were able to grasp and wrestle with that even just for a moment, it would be you would be crushed under the weight. But see, we give ourselves too much credit, don't we? Think, well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> yes, you are. And so am I. And yes, it makes us squirm in our seats because we don't like to hear that. But tell me where in the scripture it tells us that everything's unicorns and rainbows and that we're all fine and everything's fine and we, we don't have anything to worry about because of our sin. It's not in there. And we all need to wrestle with that. But this is where the glory of the gospel comes in. This is why as we ask God to graciously provide us with daily bread, we ask God to daily forgive the sin debt we have against him and to help us to daily forgive those who sin against us. We're like, Lord, help me to remember just how much I've been forgiven. And then out of that understanding of my sin and rebellion against you, O oh Lord, that I've been forgiven more than I could ever imagine, help me then to go and share that forgiveness with others and to trust you. Again, here's what DeYoung said. No doubt some people have hurt you deeply. I know that. You know that. God never says it's no big deal what happened to you. Forgiveness is not saying that sin doesn't matter. You're not saying it's no big deal. But what you are saying is that God is bigger. The cross is bigger. And even hell itself is bigger as we know that those things will be paid for. Do not focus on what they owe, DeYoung says. Focus on what God has already forgiven you. And we leave the rest with the Lord. As you think about this, instead of spending eternity in a very well-deserved hell that we all deserve, because of Christ and what he has done, we get to spend eternity in a graciously given heaven, adoring the one who graciously paid our debt. We sing that song, oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raise this life up from the dead. That is the hope of the gospel. That's it. And here's the true danger of an unforgiving heart. If you don't forgive others, it's going to destroy you from the inside out. Do you remember in the fall when we all went and rushed and bought pumpkins and we put them on the front, no, on the front steps? Remember that? You drive through neighborhoods, see a bunch of pumpkins. The thing about the pumpkins is on the front steps after a month in the sun, they still look very pretty on the outside, don't they? But if you were to cut that thing open, what does it look like? Black and rotten. And little by little, over the course of time, those black spots start coming through and you start seeing them. And then you know that that pumpkin's rotten. Okay, we might be able to keep it at arm's length for a while, but the danger in an unforgiving heart is that it's going to rot us from the inside out. You'll keep hating your family, your coworkers, your parents... And your heart will get harder the longer you hold on to it. And soon you will find that you are emotionally choking others even over the smallest offense just to get your way and to make them pay for it. That's an awful way to live. And what if God did that with you? Jesus, telling us, Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is the true mark of being a Christian. That he showed you compassion he took the hit for you. He absorbed your debt by taking it upon himself, and the Father was pleased to accept his sacrifice as payment for your sin. Do you want to know how much it cost the Father and the Son? Look no further than the table, ladies and gentlemen. See the purchase price of your redemption. That it took nothing less than the death of God's perfect Son on the cross in your behalf so that your sin debt could be paid for. 
Look no further than what this table points to. The cross of Calvary. The sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, dwell, touch, taste, understand the amount of forgiveness that has been shown you first. Christ is now calling you to bathe in the grace of the gospel and to let that change your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is you surrender your own claims to the moral high ground and you submit yourself to His kingship and His kingdom as we trust Him day by day. Let's ask a few application questions as we come to the table. Do we show this fruit of forgiveness or are we still putting ourselves in the place of the king and judge and think vengeance is ours to mete out as we see fit? Do we truly understand the depths of our own sin before or are we giving ourselves a pass while we expect perfection out of other people? Are we quick to extend forgiveness when it is asked for, even if it doesn't fit the pattern that we think it should or demand? Or do we enjoy holding the sin of others over their heads while ignoring the boulder over our own? When someone comes to us in a posture of repentance, admits their sin, and asks for forgiveness, are we willing to truly grant it? And by that means we never bring it up again. It's done. Are we willing to let minor offenses go and leave them with Christ because we know our own incalculable moral debt was nailed to the cross? Again, this is hard. Forgive us our debts, O Lord. Remind me of my debt and the forgiveness that you have shown me because of the cross and because of the gospel. And then as I stew on that and think on that and dwell on that and even feel the weight of that, help me, O Lord, then to extend that grace and forgiveness to others. As you have forgiven me, help me to forgive others. And help me to leave it with you, even when it's hard. Even when I don't feel like I get the justice that I deserve. Help me to leave it with you and trust you. Let me tell you a story as we close and as we come to the table. In the Christian leader Don Ratzleff retells a story that Vernon Grounds came across in Ernest Gordon's Miracle on the River Kwai. And the Scottish soldiers were forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad and they had degenerated to barbarous behavior. But, after, but one afternoon something incredible happened because a shovel went missing. It seems like such a small thing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. And when nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun and threatened to kill them all on the spot. And everybody knew that the officer meant what he said. That we are just property and just, he does not care for us. He'll kill every one of us. Show the shovel. Where did the shovel go? Who stole it? Who lost it? Finally, one man stepped forward. And the officer put away his gun, he picked up another shovel, and he beat the man to death with it. And when it was over, the survivors picked up the man's bloody corpse and carried it with them to the second tool check. He said, go back and find the shovel. This time, they went back and they counted, and no shovel was missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. And that word spread like wildfire throughout the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save the others. And the, in, the incident had a profound effect. The men then began to treat each other like brothers. And when the victorious allies swept in, the survivors that looked like human skeletons lined up in front of their captors. And instead of attacking their once captors, they insisted no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has transforming power. Ladies and gentlemen...
the sacrifice of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that you who were once his enemies could now be called his children by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Look no further and be reminded of the grace and Lord of our, love and, of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 12 to 15. How do we respond? What's that look like? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. We who trust Christ have been forgiven so much. So much. Now let's ask the Lord to help us to go and forgive others. And if you've got some business that you need to do with the Lord and with other people, then please do it. Go and trust the Lord, remembering the forgiveness, the incalculable debt, this mountain of forgiveness that you've been shown. And then, Lord, by your grace, help us to go and forgive others and to trust you even when it's hard because the Lord loves us. Amen? Let's pray as we approach the table. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your mercy. As we, have think, we just sang a little bit ago, we are a debtor to mercy alone. All the ways that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, Lord, remind us of that. Also remind us of how deep and wonderful and wide is your forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us because of what Christ has done. And Lord, thank you that you have paid for that debt that we could never do on our own by offering as an atonement for our sin debt. Full substitutionary atonement for our sins has been paid for at the cross. And now may we revel and rejoice in the words, it is finished that hang over us, O Lord, as we bring all of our glory and honor to you for what you have done. Lord, in a moment as we sing, Lord, help us to remember that you surrendered all. You gave all of it up to rescue and redeem us. And may that stir our hearts. Prepare us as we come to the table and we are reminded of your grace and your mercy. Help us to take it with grateful, thankful hearts for all that you have done. Lord, may we take it as forgiven people and may we rejoice in your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.